Greetings. The following is a true story, and only the names of the humans have been changed to protect the guilty. It comes from a book called The Third Prophecy of Abobilus Clue. In case you don't know, Abobilus was a 12th century Belgian monk who was able to vibrate at the same frequency as the interdimensional beings, and that meant he gained access to some valuable insights into the nature of reality. Among them was what was to become known as cosmic prophecy, the knowledge that humanity would be attacked from outer space at the end of the 20th century. Now, before we begin, there are three things you will need to know about superluminal hyperdrive engines. One, they instantly transport a spacecraft to any point in the solar system. Two, they are absolutely deadly at causing trouble. Three, to date, only one has ever been built. Chapter One The story begins in the summer of 1996 with two people in a room in Sligo watching television. And the President of the United States of America was speaking. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world and we will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Tears made their way down Martina's face as she listened. Herself and Pa were sitting quietly on a sofa. It was dark, and the only other light came from outside the living room door, which was open. Perhaps it is fate that today is the 4th of July, and that once again we are fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. Pa gripped Martina's hand. Watching the images of destruction from around the globe had made them feel small, helpless. The president spoke again. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will be known as the day that humanity declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. A text banner scrolled its way across the bottom of the screen. Islamabad. 486,000. Beijing, 887,000. Sao Paulo, 560,000. The journalists in the newsroom had thought it helpful to broadcast the estimated casualties. Passed it up to turn off the television. I can't look anymore. There's nothing we can do. So, you've seen it too? Came a voice from the door. It was Kevin down from upstairs. He was pale and trembling, his eyes as wide as saucers. The others did not reply. There was nothing to say. Kevin sat down on the edge of a chair close to the door and put his head in his hands. Pa walked over to a corner of the room. Martina wiped the tears from her face. We... We... We need to warn the others. They're still up in the woods. They won't know anything about this. We've got to... Her voice trailed off when she noticed Pa rooting through a pile of dirty bags. He produced a tobacco tin and sat back down. A strong smell filled the room as he opened the box. What? That's White Widow! Kevin lifted his head. Where'd you get that, Pa? Well, I got it ages ago. I'd been keeping it for a special occasion. Like what? Armageddon? Kevin's head fell back into his hands. Pa sat down and began sticking cigarette papers together. Will you turn on the light, Martina? 
Jesus, no, no lights. Kevin leapt up and paced over to the window, peering carefully beyond the curtains. We don't want to make things easy for their scouts. Uh, how many get-a-fixes did you have, Kev? I don't know. How many's there? Kevin handed a torn strip of blotting paper to Martina. Three. Well, then the answer is, whatever it was at the start, that's the three I gave to ye, and the three that's there. So the first amount, minus six, is what I had. Pat took a head torch from one of his pockets and began carefully filling the papers with the contents of the box. Kevin's attention went back out the window. What can you see? I don't know, Martina. There's a glow on the horizon. They might have hit Ballymore already. Pat looked up from the spliff. The light from his torch temporarily blinded the others. He scratched his head and continued rolling the joint. Ah, come on, Kev. Why would an alien race travel billions of light years across space to vaporise Ballymote? Think about what you're saying. It's way more likely they've gone for a big industrial target, like Sligo. Don't be that, Pa. There's the Mart, and Scar Railway Station. That's less than four miles from the N4. Of course they're going to target it. Kevin leaned closer towards the window. Anyways, it's too hard to tell with that comment up there. And there's a thing. It's obvious that comet is light from the alien mothership. And you can bet the government have known about this for months. Why the fuck wouldn't they just have let us know? You'd swear they wanted the aliens to win. Martina stood up and walked to the door. We have to warn the others. Pa shone the torch into the tin. This stuff is deadly. Look at all that white. That's pure THC. Kevin nodded in agreement. Keep the seeds, Pa. I'm going to see if I can get them to grow. Have you two forgotten that the world is about to end? We need to let the others know. Pa didn't reply. He was focused on inserting a roach into the carefully formed papers. Well, if you don't care about them, I do. I'm going up there right now. Someone's got to go. Martina's voice cracked as she spoke. It's fate. Fate we ended up in a B&B with satellite reception. Fate that I'm the one to warn. Fine. Ye stay here to wallow in the dark. It's like the president said, we will not go gently into the night. She watched Pat slowly get some papers ready for another spliff and sat back down next to him. Well, except that I will go quietly into the night. Do you think the aliens are up there already? Pat sparked a lighter. He sat back, inhaling slowly. Smoke drifted across the room. Don't have it all. Thought you were heading up to the woods. I am. I mean, I will, in a while. Pass that over, will you? Kevin began pacing across the room. Something about this doesn't add up, lads. He sat back down on a chair near their door. This all happened too quick. The aliens must have had a spy to give them coordinates for our cities. Someone here. Someone who told them where to strike and when the time was right. Has to be Jerry McLaughlin. Pat handed the joint to Martina. How? Jerry McLaughlin from up in Cairns Hill. Yeah, him. Sure of it. Do you know he cleared the whole of zero tolerance? Pat started rolling a joint as he spoke. There's 57 sub-basement levels in that game. 57. Took him 20 hours straight. Has some going. Kevin stopped pacing. Yeah? Well, how come you never see him out drinking? 
That's because he's too busy signalling the aliens. And can you really be sure he's cleared zero tolerance? Where's the proof? No, there's something not right there. Oh, I don't know, Kevin. He spends all his time up in the house. I don't see where he could be signalling him from. Are you sure it could be him? Very sure. He's doing it up in the house, using his computers. Well, look, tell me this. Have you ever seen him eating? Huh? No. And I tell you why. Because he's an alien. That's why. Pa finished rolling the new joint, and Martinez stubbed out the last one before rejoining the conversation. <clears throat> I saw him eating a cheese sandwich once. Pa slouched back into the sofa. A fog of smoke surrounded him. Kevin tapped his foot on the floor. He had us all fooled. Uh, it was on the Strandhill bus. There was lettuce in it and everything. All right, okay, Martina. I heard you the first time. You don't have to keep banging on about it. So Jerry McLaughlin is not an alien. So what? It's hardly going to help us stop the invasion. Sure it won't, Pa. I gave a little cough. <coughs> Sorry, lads. What are we talking about? Jerry McLaughlin. Jerry McLaughlin? Do you know he cleared all 57 sub-basement levels of zero tolerance? Pa, would you just hand me over the joint for Kevin? Sorry, Kev. I realise you had none of the last one. Martina took hold of it, took a deep drag and sat back. Pa, what do you think we should do about the aliens? I don't know, Martina. I'm not really an expert in that kind of thing. I mean, we all saw the speech earlier. Looks like they have a plan. There's units in the army trained for this. I suppose we should just sit and wait for them to do what they have to do. Wait for them to do what? Asked Kevin, suddenly animated. Get themselves killed. F-16s against alien spacecraft. How's that going to work? Have you got rocks in your head, huh? There's nothing. Wait for what? What's the fucking aircraft going to do? Six PC-12s. There's probably only two of them working. They're not even set up for night flying, for fuck's sake. Be like trying to fight a grizzly bear with a tea bag. Martina leaned over and gently tapped Kevin on the elbow with the spliff. Kevin nodded and took it in his hand. He drew greedily on it. Kevin's foot stopped tapping, and he sank back from the edge of his chair. Pa slowly set up the papers for a third joint. He flicked a bit of stem onto the floor. Tell you what, that MC was annoying earlier. Like, what's the point in that? Seriously, whoever gave that fucker a microphone should be shot. The music was deadly, but when he started though, the party was like a fucking aerobics class. Such a headbelt. It was just coming up at the time too. You don't think he was one of them? Asked Martina. What? The aliens? No way. Not a chance. No alien commander worth assault to trust an invasion to scutter and shite talk. You don't need to be Terry Wogan to work that one out. But think about it. It makes sense. Lure everybody to a party in the woods and then strike when they're distracted. Pat, we've got to go up there and warn them. You're right, Martina. But not about the MC. He was just a gobshite. Here, spark that one up. Kevin began quietly muttering to himself. Lads, no, not that. No, that won't work. But if I just... Mm, gravity needs to work in all directions. And three circuit boards. Mm. Are you okay, Kev? Yeah, yeah. Kevin stubbed out the joint on the arm of the chair and tucked the remains into his shoe. He cleared his throat. Lads! I know how to save the world.